Hey, Will, like I normally do, I just want to take a moment to tell our listeners to make sure they hit us up on social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you might see us. Make sure you're sending us something. Also, you can email us directly at AppalachiaMeetsWorld at gmail.com. If you get a moment, shoot us a line, give us some feedback. Yeah, and wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you subscribe to Appalachia Meets World. It just helps our podcast, but it also helps you know when we're releasing a new episode. The uniqueness of a woman hiking the trail kind of went away because more people started to hike the trail. It became a little better known. In the Appalachian Trail Conservancy group, there was a lot of controversy about her because she did not keep her mouth shut about the poor conditions along the trail. Appalachia meets world podcast about place and perspective but always Appalachian and don't forget Will tonight's episode is powered by SOAR shaping our Appalachian region if you're a entrepreneur out there especially in eastern Kentucky check them out Appalachian meets world we're back it's another exciting week it's Will and Neil Neil What's it's up? March one of the greatest months in the in the history of time and why is that? Because this week the NCAA tournament started. So started uh, yesterday. You, know, you think the first weekend is the best weekend? I know that the first weekend is the best weekend. There's no <laughs> question. People will be, you know, glued to their TV all day long watching the first round of the tournament, man. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows what time it starts. Everybody's filled out their brackets. Because the first round is all about the upsets, right? Usually that day one, you see very few. And then, you know, second day, fourth day, that's when the that's when the big ones happen. Well, let me ask you this. After the first day, is your bracket busted yet? No, I'm, I'm clean. Nice. You make it past those first two days and you're doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty How's good. How's yours doing? I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's good. Is that is that compared to like your your son's bracket or <laughs> comparing it nationally? We'll see after this weekend, and I'll let you know next week. You want to tell anyone who you have in the final four? I can't give wait? away my predictions. We'll save that for next weekend, All right. just to make sure that one of mine is still alive. So. <laughs> All right. People have to tune in to, to make sure they know if I was right or wrong. I also wanted to ask you, I know last Sunday was a big day for you, uh, the Oscars. Did you, oh, yeah. did you watch the Oscars? I'm going to continue to ask. Negative. To no surprise, Top Gun did not win. But just so you know, anything, everywhere, all at once, pretty much won everything. I did want to say in regards to Top Gun – I didn't watch all the Oscars, but the best part of the show was Lady Gaga singing Hold My Hand. Very stripped down, raw, gave me some chills. I would have gone for that. I may have to Google that and check that out. I'm sure it's online. Definitely. Yeah, check it out. So I know that the Oscars is more national news, but how about Appalachia, Will? You got any app news for me this week? Yeah, man, I got a little bit of app news. On Monday, March 20th, the West Virginia Public Broadcasting Network is releasing a television series. It's called Edible Mountain. It premieres at 9 o'clock 
on the 20th episode one and two on the 27th episode three and four it follows botanists conservationists enthusiastic hobbyists in the field as they provide insight on sustainable forest foraging so really it just increases the appreciation and accessibility of the abundance found in Appalachia and they claim that it's just celebrating the traditional knowledge and customs of Appalachian folks concerning plants and their medical, religious, and social uses. You can check that out. It's called Edible Mountain. The other thing, a really cool article. I know you know the magazine Bon Appetit. They released this awesome package, bonappetit.com. You can check it out. It's called Welcome to Appalachia. They just released it. It's a bunch of essays, travel guide, and recipes in a package that are a reflection of Appalachian food and culture today. It does have some of the historic, you know, apple stack cake and some of those things, but it really looks at the culture and the food where we are today in Appalachia. It's an awesome, awesome article full of pictures, full of articles from uh, regional chefs as well as regional writers throughout Appalachia. And I I wanted to mention it also because the first line of the article, when you hear Appalachia, what comes to mind? They stole it. Stole it from me. They did. Where can I find this uh, thief that wrote this article? We'll put it in the show notes, but you can go to bonappetit.com and you can search for Welcome Appalachia. I always enjoy reading when there's lots of pictures. So you promise lots of pictures. There's plenty of pictures. Another newsworthy item, Emily Satterwhite, who's the director of the Department of Appalachian Studies at the Virginia Tech, and Katie Powell, who's the director of Virginia Tech Center for Refugee, Migrant, and Displacement Studies. They won a grant, $3 million grant from the Andrew Mellon Foundation to put together what they're calling the Monuments Across Appalachia, Virginia. It's them and an advisory board to select community groups across Southwest Virginia to talk about the untold stories throughout Virginia. They're going to work with community groups and artists to reimagine what a monument can be in regards to historical markers, public art, performances, festivals, really to tell that untold story throughout Appalachia to talk about those voices that don't often get talked about. I think it's an awesome thing that they're doing. It's called Monuments Across Appalachia, Virginia, but it also shows, you know, the Andrew Mellon Foundation is a huge foundation, and the fact that they're giving $3 million towards this, it just goes to show what they think about the importance of Appalachia, the importance of the history of Appalachia, and the untold stories. So we'll put that in the show notes as a whole website from Virginia Tech. Really cool. You should check it out. Uh, the last little bit of news I want to talk about is just another grant. The Nature Conservancy received $4.25 million in a combined investment for Appalachian Conservation. The Richard King Mellon Foundation provided this funding uh, for tangible, durable conservation outcomes of people and nature throughout Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and broader central Appalachia landscape. Again, the Richard King Mellon Foundation recognized the importance of this and the beauty that is Appalachia. I just wanted to mention that. Cool. I know we talked about March Madness, but in the last episode, we also touched on Women's History Month. Little bit of history of Women's History Month. Do you know the history around it? 
No. Enlighten me, please. We talked about last week, March 8th being International Women's Day. That actually started in 1911, but it kind of got forgotten about. In 1960, a woman who called herself Laura X, she had a march on March the 8th to rediscover International Women's Day. That actually led to the Sonoma, California School District in 1978 to participate in what they referred to as National Women's History Week. It was later championed by Gerder Lerner of the Sarah Lawrence College. She partnered with the History of National Women's History Alliance to be recognized as a week. And so in 1980, it was re- recognized as National Women's History Week. I know there's a quote from Gerda Lerner who talked about, she said, women's history is women's rights. And she wanted that it to focus on the leaders who struggled, that being Susan B. Anthony, Sojourner Truth, Lucy Stone, Lucretia Mott, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Harriet Tubman, and Alice Paul. Those are some of the women that she mentioned in the history. This led to Jimmy Carter making a presidential proclamation in 1987 for National Women's History Month. So in 1987, it became a month. And since then, there's been a presidential proclamation every year. Gerda Lerner, who championed it at Sarah Lawrence College, she mentioned those names. And I wanted to mention those names because in in that time, you know, she mentioned those. There's been a lot more since then. One of those individuals that we wanted to talk about actually on the show today in regards to women's history is a pioneer in Appalachia, a pioneer herself. She was the first woman to hike the solo hike, the Appalachian Trail. Yeah, I I can't imagine at the day and age and when this was done, Will, but uh, pretty remarkable feat. Yeah, a proud Appalachian. She's the epitome of, I think, the grit, resilience, and determination that Appalachians have. For sure. Interested in learning more about her story. And how better to learn about her story but an organization and an individual, Miss Betty Lou Higgins, who has put together this package of information and history in regards to Grandma Emma Gatewood. Yeah, well, I, I need to learn more about this story. So without further ado, uh, let's bring in the storyteller. All right, let's do it. On the show today, we have a special guest, Miss Betty Lou Higgins. She is the artistic director of Eden Valley Enterprises, better known as Eve, which provides Unique educational experiences, primarily through theater. Uh, They specialize in living history programs, storytelling, and musical trips back in time, and are equally adept at the other kinds of programming and have produced more than 40 original productions. Most recently, Eve produced the Emmy-nominated documentary Trail Magic, The Grandma Gatewood Story, And if you're not familiar, as we mentioned in the intro, Grandma Gatewood in 1955 at age 67 was the first woman to solo hike the Appalachian Trail. Really an inspiring person. 
yet often untold story that we wanted to highlight this month during Women's History Month. So, Betty Lou, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate your time. Well, thanks for having me. This is exciting, particularly because for those of you along the East Coast, on Monday, you can actually see Trail Magic at the Waterford Public Library in Waterford, Connecticut. So this is perfect timing. There's a the number of other events that are coming up that we also want to mention. But before we do that, as most Appalachians are big on history, big on tradition, Neil and I, our family, we're big on tradition as well. One of the traditions we have, we have appetizers at the holidays. We usually have this big spread of appetizers, bigger than the actual meal. So we wanted to ask you, Betty Lou, do you have a favorite appetizer or just holiday dish? Well, we don't usually do appetizers in my family um, beyond the normal cheese and crackers. We have a meal. So I guess uh, if I would pick a favorite meal, one of the ones that we enjoyed the most uh, although we didn't have it all the time, only when my husband was able to manage it, we would have smoked turkey and smoked walleye Oh, that he would smoke in the backyard in our smoker, which was a converted water heater. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. I have not smoked walleye, but. Uh, yes. <laughs> I'm telling you, walleye is one of my favorite fish to eat. Oh, yeah. Good. Love it. Love it. Smoked a lot of turkeys, but I'll have to to, uh, venture down the walleye trail. Yeah, have to do it. Recipe or a certain rub that you would recommend. Yeah, Neil's a big smoker. Do you use a converted water heater or do you use a real (laughs) smoker? I have not ventured into the water heater business yet, but. I can see how that would be a great way to, to get started. I have a little, um, I guess, more commercialized way of doing it. Yeah. But works the same. Yours is probably better, actually. It could have been. I, I'm clear. We wanted to let you talk about, you know, I mentioned Eve and what you do as an organization. Maybe you could talk about that a little bit more. But also Emma Grandma Gatewood. It really started with the storytelling program. I think that was in 2011 in regards to Grandma Gatewood. And you followed that up in 2013 with the premiere of a one-act play. And then in 2015 was the documentary, Trail Magic, that I mentioned. The Grandma Gatewood story not only been nominated for an Emmy, but also won multiple awards. So how did all that come to be? How did this story coming to your hemisphere, how did you want to, why did you want to tell this story that, to be honest, not a lot of people know about? Right. Well, the why we did it is almost as weird as the why Grandma Gatewood did it. (laughs) (laughs) Around about 2009, the Buckeye Trail Association hired me to do a voiceover for a little movie they were making for their 50th anniversary. They sent me a script and buried in the middle of the script, it said, one of our founders was Grandma Emma Gatewood, who was the first woman to solo through hike the Appalachian Trail alone at the age of 67. Well, I was shocked. And so I called the woman who hired me and I said, never mind the Buckeye Trail. Who the heck is Grandma Gatewood? (laughs) So... (laughs) 
she tells me a little bit and I and at that time we had we and, well we still have a program called Remarkable Ohioans about short stories of unusual people from Ohio that most people don't know about. So at that moment, I was just thinking I'd do a little short story about Grandma Gatewood to stick in to that program. So the, she gave me the phone number of Lucy Seeds, who was Emma's youngest daughter, who lived in Florida. So I called her up out of the blue and told her what I was doing. And I wanted to know more about Emma and was thinking of writing a short story about her. That call lasted two hours. <laughs> when we got done, she said to me, well, what I'd really like to do is either publish Emma's diaries as a book or do a movie. She said, but I have no idea how to do any of this. And I said, well, let me poke around up here, see if I could find any information to send you about either of those two options. So we left it at that, and I started trying to figure out how to get someone to publish a diary, hit a stone wall. And I had recently done a project on video with uh, Peter Houston of Film Effects, who did a lot of documentaries. So I emailed him and told him what she was looking for. I said, do you have any idea what I should do? What, what can I recommend for her and how to proceed? And he emailed back, tell her we'll do it. Now, I'm a theater person. I tend to follow directions. And so without thinking about what he just said, I emailed her back and said, we'll do it. <laughs> From 2009 to 2015, Grandma Gatewood took over my life, literally. We had no idea if what kind of material was available besides her diaries. We didn't know what, what they were like. Plus, they were in Florida. We were in Ohio. Was this even possible? So we got a grant from the Ohio Humanities to do research to find out if this was even a viable topic, which allowed us to go to Florida, interview uh, Lucy, and get some footage with her and some of the things that she had of her mother. It allowed us to travel to Gallipolis, Ohio, where Emma was born, meet with her great-granddaughter, do some on-site footage of the areas that she lived. And by that time, we determined, well, we definitely had enough for a storytelling program only about her and potentially a play. So we moved forward, started to try and write grants and everything like that um, to gain money, did some generic calls to the public when we did programs saying, you know, would you like to make a donation and help us do this? And we, as we moved ahead, we found we definitely had enough material there. So we did what you said. We started with a storytelling pro program, which gave us a basic outline of her life. We moved to the play, which was done basically first person, so we could create the character of Emma with an actress and used a lot of the material that Lucy and her great-granddaughter Marjorie shared with us from the diaries as part of the dialogue. So then the, the play opened up and then we were able to take material from both the play and the storytelling, turn it into a kind of script for the film. And Peter, the videographer, went on the Appalachian Trail, interviewed some hikers, interviewed people from the Appalachian Trail Conservancy so we could get 
a background on the history of the trail and what people knew about her and why they were hiking. Um, we talked to a historian at Baldwin Wallace College who did women's studies about Emma's life, in particular, how her domestic abuse situation would have been affecting not only her life, but how it was viewed at that time. As a divorced woman in the 50s, that was verboten. And it was difficult for a single woman to make a living back then. So we got all of that material together and the documentary was put together and released in 2015. We had a partner in WOUB in Ohio University. So it went up on PBS and we showed at multiple stations in many different states for about three years. And we've been showing it ever since. So it's been to quite a few states and other areas. We've done the play at several locations as well. And I do the storytelling program and or a short version of her story in the Remarkable Ohioans program, depending on what's booked. So we've been doing our best to get her name out there. That's great. I, I say all the time, you can't, for an, an inspiring Appalachian, a great Appalachian, especially an inspiring Appalachian woman, you can't tell the stories enough. So no. kudos to you for getting the story out there as much as you guys have. Thank you. Betty Lou, can you can you tell our listeners and, and educate me a little bit more on why did grandma decide to hike the Appalachian Trail uh, alone? <laughs> well, that part of the question is kind of easily answered. She in 1954, she read a 1949 edition of National Geographic that had an article about the trail. And in it, it mentioned that so far, only five men had ever through hiked the Appalachian Trail, and no woman ever had. Now, to define some terms here, there's through hiking means you hike the entire trail, all 2,000 plus miles, in one trip. You don't go home and come back and do another. another. That's called a section hike. Lots of people do section hikes, uh, you know. A through hike takes about five months to actually do that. Well, Emma read that article and saw it said no woman had ever done this. Now, you have to understand, by 1954, all of her 11 children were grown and out of the house. She was divorced, and basically she was responsible only for herself. While we don't know exactly what went through her mind that she should try this beyond that she liked to do things that seemed a little crazy, <laughs> she made that decision. And so in, in July of 1954, she went to Mount Katahdin in Maine and decided to take off. She didn't get too far. She kind of got lost, although later she said, I wasn't lost. I was simply misplaced broke her glasses. She never, the bottom line is she never got out of Maine. Some rangers came and rescued her. They told her, you're too old to be doing this. She was 66 at that point. They said, you better just go home. Well, now you don't say that to grandma because of course she's going to try it again the next year. So the next year she did a little bit more research kind of about it. Um, Lucy says prepared things were not her strong suit in terms of how she packed and things, but she had figured out she needed to pack lighter than what she had done the first time. Um, she also found out that the more common way to through hike the trail was to start in Georgia and end up in Maine. 
So in May of 1955, she went to Mount Oglethorpe, Georgia, which at the time was the southernmost end of the trail. And she took off from there. And 145 days later, she managed to get to the top of Mount Katahdin. When she was asked later why she did this, she apparently never gave the same answer twice. But there's all sorts of things. We don't really know why, in the end, she actually did it. She wanted to see if she could prove something. She wanted to be the first woman. She was indeed the first woman. At that time, she was the oldest person to do it. Has been far surpassed by many older people. But yeah, for, at that time, that was huge. She, she really has an incredible story. I know there's an, there is another award-winning book out there, a, a New York Times bestseller by Ben Montgomery, the Grandma Gatewood's Walk. There's a quote in that book. I think it's an incredible quote by Grandma Gatewood talking about the Appalachian Trail and I think referring kind of to her age, but it says there were a million heavenly things to see and a million spectacular ways to die. I just thought that was a fabulous. Yeah, a great quote that she had. But you also, you know, you mentioned having access to her diaries, especially through her daughter. What did you learn through her, through this uh, process, through her diaries, maybe that you didn't know before or that surprised you in, in putting this all together? Well, before I answer that question, I want to talk a little bit about Ben's book. You know how people say something gets in the air and suddenly everybody's talking about it? Well, here's the funny thing about Ben's book. We started our project in 2009, and everyone we talked to didn't know who Grandma Gatewood was, unless they were part of the Buckeye Trail Association or the Appalachian Trail Conservancy. Around about 2014, Ben decided to write his book, um, and he was a Shirtail relative of Emma. Kind of, As I recall, he found out accidentally about her and his relationship, and he was in Florida. So... He had um, he was able to go and spend a lot of time with Lucy and the diaries and everything. And it was funny how by 2014, when his book came out, we'd done our storytelling program and our play. We had heard that he was doing his book. In fact, I did a review of it for um, a group out along the East Coast there that was was making one of the first reviews of his book. And we, find, we got in contact with him. Peter, our videographer, did talk to him, picked up some additional information because he had the luxury of reading all the diaries, which, of course, we didn't, given the geographical problem. And I eventually met him after our film was done at a reunion of the Gatewoods, which they graciously invited both him and me to. Of course, he was sort of a relative and belonged there, but I didn't. Um, and got some more information from him as we moved on. We add things every now and then. So it was great to be able to talk to him. He had the luxury of being able to write about Emma as long as he wanted to tell the story. You know, there was no limits to how long his book could be. We were confined as a performing arts piece to under an hour. So, of course, we couldn't go into the depth that he could. And I think his book and our movie helped both of us in terms of getting the word out. Um, as to what I learned from her diaries that I guess I never, ever gave a thought to, uh, particularly given the difficult circumstances of her life, was that she 
wrote poetry. And she carried her diaries, which were little steno notepads, like, and wrote poems along the trail. In fact, one of her poems we use at the end of our programs called Reward of Nature. Yeah, uh, I read after she hiked the trail in the late 50s, she became somewhat of a celebrity at that time. She was in Sports Illustrated. She was on the Today yeah. Show, the Groucho Marx Show. She's part of the trail was named after her late, later on. But yeah. she was picked up as a spokesperson for kids. Well, um, what, from what we can tell, but there's three pairs of her shoes that got left behind. She wore out six pairs of shoes on that hike. The ones that I've seen are Converse, not actually kids. That's not to say she didn't wear kids, because unlike people nowadays who go in looking for specific brands and everything, she bought what was available and kids were popular at the time. Obviously, Converse were too. The ones that I've seen were Converse. But yeah, yeah she had simple things, but no backpack, no tent, no compass, no trail guide. You know, she became celebrity then. Over time, I think her story really was forgotten or, or was no longer yeah. told. In, in regards to Appalachian history, in regards to women empowerment, how significant is her story and why was it forgotten over time? I think it was partly forgotten because the uniqueness of a woman hiking the trail kind of went away because more people started to hike the trail. It became a little better known. In the Appala Appalachian Trail Conservancy group, there was a lot of controversy about her because she did not keep her mouth shut about the poor conditions along the trail. The shelters were not as well maintained. The trail wasn't as well maintained as it is now. And she let it be known. And the people who worked along the trail weren't too happy about that bad publicity, so to speak. However, it worked. I mean, it, I mean, the trail's fabulous now, but also there was no internet. So unless you caught that particular episode of Groucho Marx or Art Linkletter, you didn't know anyway. That's very <laughs> true. I, so I think without that so-called viral capacity of the internet, that's why she kind of disappeared. She she was obviously the epitome of of. What we think about on this show in regards to Appalachians, that courageous, undaunted spirit of yeah. Appalachia. But she broke, you know, several cultural barriers. You mentioned the domestic abuse. And she also broke through several cultural barriers like age discrimination, yeah. gender discrimination. How important was that at the time? I don't think she thought of it at all. It was not a thing like we have today. She did it. Um, she wouldn't let people tell her she couldn't do it. Um, she purposely set off that first time and didn't tell any of her kids or anyone else where she was going or what she was doing. That way they couldn't stop her. And then when she found <laughs> out in, in the second successful trip, people found out she was hiking alone. And so news reporters started to descend on the trail. And she realized they were going to be publishing her story. And she got concerned about her kids reading about the fact that she was out there alone in the paper. So she started sending out postcards to all the kids to tell them where she was and that she was fine. That says to me, she really didn't give that much thought that she was a woman alone and 
breaking all these barriers. She just did it because that was right for her. And she got that divorce at a time when women didn't get divorced. They were socially ostracized for it. And yet after her kids were basically safe, there were only a few children left in the house by the time she got divorced. She did it anyway. Now, mind you, she never spoke about it publicly. Even after the hike, when she went out and spoke about the hike, she didn't discuss the divorce. So it was still something that was not common. And her, when we went to meet with Lucy, Lucy was very open about the, just the abuse. And Lucy did speak about it when she talked about her mother. And she said she felt it was an important part of her mother's story and that people needed to know that she had overcome such difficult times. So we felt we needed to talk about it too. Now we don't, we don't dwell on that topic. Our programs are mainly about her hiking accomplishments. She went back and did it two more times. She was the first person, man or woman, to hike the trail three times alone. The last one was basically a section hike, but she did it. She hiked the entire Oregon Trail, 2,000 miles alone. She regularly, regularly hiked down the Buckeye Trail and walked from her home in Gallipolis, Ohio, on the Ohio River near Marietta to Columbus, Ohio, which is in the center of the state. I don't think she thought about those kind of things, but, and that's what we concentrate on. And when we started, there were some relatives that were very cautious about it. One of the sons of one of her daughters wanted his mother not to speak to me because he was afraid we were going to sensationalize the abuse. So he got in touch with me. I said, I'm going to send you a copy of our script. This is our main focus is her hiking. If you don't like it, after you read it, I will not speak to your mother. But I think you'll realize we're looking for information about her accomplishments. And he gave us his blessing. I spoke to his mother. Um, everything was fine. There were a few of the relatives that were not willing to speak to us for fear of that. But most of them were happy to talk about her story and particularly her accomplishments. Speaking of her accomplishments, she, she was really, and you mentioned this uh, earlier, but she was really a pioneer in regards to the ultralight hiking phenomenon that has come about on the AT Trail. Can you speak to that a little bit or maybe some of the challenges that she faced along the trail? Yeah, it was totally by accident because no <laughs> one was talking about stuff like that. And of course, the equipment then wasn't light to begin with. So, you know, unlike now where they have Gore-Tex and, you know, right. lightweight things and all sorts of technology. Yeah, she went the, when she took the first hike, she had quite a lot of things and particularly a lot of clothes that she took. She realized she needed to pack lighter. In fact, she sent some stuff home at one point because she couldn't carry it off. That, it's a rough trail. I mean, it's not like you're walking on an asphalt trail through the park. Uh, there's <laughs> rocks and gorges and all sorts of things. So she lightened her pack by a lot. She also took uh, a canteen and would fill it with water from a stream. And her great-granddaughter, Marjorie, likes to say she invented bottled water because she put <laughs> it in a baby bottle. And she always had bottled water. <laughs> so it was a total accident that she lightened her pack that way. But it's one of the things I think, and clearly her great-granddaughter, Marjorie, thinks is what allowed her 
to finish those fights. She wasn't carrying a lot of stuff. Um, however, she always kept a nice dress in her backpack. And when she had to go into town to pick up supplies, she got out of her dungarees and put the dress on and went into town so she would look presentable. And nice. of course, in the 1950s, women didn't go into town wearing pants, much less looking like a hiker that had just come out of the woods. <laughs> <laughs> I know the Women's Storytelling Festival is coming up March 24th through 26th, which you are part of. I know there are 27 storytellers, but only seven are competing in the people's choice storytelling. And you are, congratulations, are one of them t- telling the G- Grandma Gateway story. So do you want to talk about some of the upcoming events in yes. regards to the story in regards to Grandma Gatewood? Yes, thank you. And thank you to everyone who voted for me to go into the competition at the storytelling contest. So we have three right now currently scheduled. The one is Monday at the Waterford Public Library in, in Waterford, Connecticut. It will be at um, six o'clock and people can check either our website, EdenValleyEnterprises.org or check the Waterford Library's website for information on what to do and how to get there and all that good stuff. The storytelling contest, as you mentioned, is in Fairfax, Virginia. It starts March 24th and runs through the 26th. The contest is on Saturday the 25th, I will be on at 4.30. You can either attend it in person or you can attend it via Zoom. You have to have a ticketed something, either in person or on Zoom, in order to vote. So anyone who's happy enough to come and listen and would like to vote for me, that would be great. I'd appreciate it. So you can also get their full schedule on our website or at... um, the storytelling festival's website, yeah, better said than done.com. And then the last event that we have coming up is on June 2nd at the Cleveland Metro Parks. And we'll be showing Trail Magic at Brexville Nature Center in Brexville, Ohio. And that is at seven o'clock on June 2nd. And again, you can check the Cleveland Metro Parks schedule or check our website for complete information about that. And if anyone does want to hold, host an event of any of our Trail Magic Grandma Gatewood programs, they could just give me a, uh, send an email through our website and I'll get in touch with them. And like I said, you don't have to have me present to show the film. You just need to get a license and we'll make all the arrangements for you and you can show it to your group. Betty Lou, thank you very much for uh, sharing all of this information with with Will and I. One of the questions that we ask all of our guests that that come on our show, and I'm always interested to hear different perspectives, but you don't necessarily sound like Will and I uh, when you speak. But uh, what's the first thing that that comes to your mind when you hear the word Appalachia? At this moment, because I've been struggling with this, not just talking to you, but just trying to get ready for this contest, is figuring out what I'm going to say. Because here in Ohio, we say Appalachia. And I know in many parts, it's Appalachia. I can't seem to fit Appalachia in my mouth when I'm doing this, except all of a sudden, it'll come out at weird times. And so when I hear that, 
I struggle with what am I saying and how am I saying it? Um, yeah. So it, and that's been on, on the top of my mind as I rehearse this story for next week is what, and I've kind of given up. Whatever comes out is going to come out. Another question that we ask everyone, and you kind of alluded to it being from Ohio, but place in perspective, we kind of ground our podcast on that. It's really important to Neil and I. It's really important to Appalachia. And we wanted to ask you just where do you call home? What makes it home for you? What makes it unique? Um, I'm in Elyria, Ohio, and I was born and raised in Ohio, born in the Cleveland area, uh, lived in that area until I was married, moved to Vermilion, which is in Lorraine County, which is where Elyria is now. When I was about one or two, we lived near Indianapolis, Indiana, Brown County, Indiana, where apparently there is another dialect. And I was just learning to speak. So I was speaking in that dialect. And when I came home at barely a year later, continued learning to talk, apparently I lost a lot of it. But my mother used to tell me over and over that there were certain words that I would say, and she knew those were the Brown County words. So <laughs> the whole Appalachia, Appalachian thing, I totally get that the accent in various locations. You, you know, you've lived like you mentioned, the life of Grandma Gatewood for a long time. Do you have any interesting stories about Grandma Gatewood and her, her path? Yeah, my favorite one is that I spoke to one of her, her uh, sons. This was late in her life, right before she died. She was taking a bus tour around the country. He lived in Florida. So one day he gets a call really late at night. It's Emma. She's at the bus station and she asks him to come pick her up. And they didn't know she was coming. They're not prepared. They're in a trailer camp, right? So he goes to pick her up. He brings her home. The next morning, the two of them have to go to work. They weren't prepared for a house guest, so they didn't make any arrangements. And so they tell her they're, they're going off to work. And she says to them, well, what am I going to do all day? And so his wife points out the window and says, well, there's a park across the street. Why don't you go for a walk? And she said, it's too far to walk. <laughs> <laughs> Big change. Irony. <laughs> well, Betty Lou, uh, thank you so much for being uh, a part of this episode, for telling the story of a great Appalachian, a great Appalachian woman that is Emma Grandma Gatewood, getting her story out there, letting the universe know about it as much as you and your organization have done. I wanted to give you an opportunity to let people know where they can find your organization in regards to the website, as well as the extraordinary documentary Trail Magic. It's EdenValleyEnterprises.org. And that's Eden as in Garden of, Valley as in I'm in the Valley, and Enterprises with a plural with an S at the end, dot org. If you Google Eden Valley Enterprises, it pretty much pops up fairly quickly. We're, we're in Ohio and you can Google Trail Magic and it'll connect you to us as well. Thank you. Thank you so much again. Thank you for your time. It was a pleasure to meet you, to hear about Grandma Gatewood's story. And we appreciate the time. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on. I really appreciate it. Appreciate Bye. your time.
So Neil, what an extraordinary individual Grandma Gatewood. Be honest, had you ever heard about her before we learned about this episode? I gotta be honest, Will, no. As an Appalachian and someone that's learned a little bit about the Appalachian Trail, I hate to admit that, but what a tremendous female uh, human being, you know, resilient woman, strong, uh, independent, and uh, what a cool lady that she must have been. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd never heard of her either. And just the history of storytelling in Appalachia, you know, Appalachians are known for their storytelling. You know, the fact that we had Betty Lou Higgins, a professional storyteller, telling the story of Grandma Gatewood just made it even that more interesting in regards to the history, the life of this woman. I'm sure that that Betty Lou does a great job in telling any story, but this one uh, seems to be very special to her as well. And uh, of course, special to Appalachian history for sure. Speaking of that, I wanted to ask you, Neil, do you have any uh, special app businesses this week? I did have a, a, a business I wanted to highlight, Will. And because we're talking about Grandma Gatewood and give her hometown a little shout out, uh, Gallipolis, Ohio. Uh, there's a there's a place there called the River City Manufacturing Company that manufactures all sorts of uh, leather goods. I just thought it was a really neat business there locally. And you can check them out at rivercitymanufacturing.com. Any type of uh, leather product, leather good that you might need help with. They can assist. Nice. Because we're talking about Gallipolis, I did want to mention another another business in Gallipolis. It's called the Artisan Shop and Studio. They have a, a market that they allow local vendors to uh, bring in their own products that they've made and, and sell them there uh, in their shop. Um, their mission as a 501c3 is to promote and educate arts and culture in their community. So I just thought it was a neat place for people that they could go. If you're in the Gallipolis area, uh, please check them out. They also have a studio that anyone can come in and create their own masterpieces in. So a uh, really cool piece in the community there in Gallipolis. Uh, you can check them out at the artisanshop.org. There's two great businesses there in Gallipolis, Ohio which is where Grandma Gatewood is uh, from. You know, I just thought it'd be unique to highlight a couple of businesses there. Very cool. I mean, obviously, we've known a long time how important it is to shop local, but also to create local. And I think those are a couple of awesome examples in Gallipolis. For all our listeners, I hope you uh, enjoyed a little piece of it. Please do some more additional listening to the, the story of Grandma Gatewood And of course, during this wonderful time of March, enjoy yourself some basketball as well, like I'm going to. And on March 24th and 26th, if you want to check Betty Lou out online, it's the Women's Storytelling Festival. Again, March 24th, 25th, and 26th. So I I guess, Neil, we can end it like we usually do. Till next time. Peace. Getting thin. Now I'm facing down with a grin. 
city to love Sidewalks and buildings and singing sad songs Now I'm back up where I belong in the mountains